0: Thank you for downloading the sermon podcast for Hope City Church. We pray the word of God leaves you encouraged and hopeful today. Would you open with me to Matthew chapter 28? Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to start in verse 18. It says this And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for our time here today. I pray that you would um, just anoint this time, anoint my teaching. Um, We know that the Holy Spirit is the teacher of the church, and so we pray that you would teach us now. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you would want us to hear, what you would want us to see this morning. I pray, God, that you would do a work in every one of our hearts today. No matter where we're at, no matter what we're going through, that our eyes would be lifted to you, that we would be um, encouraged and comforted and challenged and stirred and changed. Whatever you need to do in our lives, Lord, that you would meet us there and uh, speak to us today and help us to hear you and follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're at the beginning of a new series that we are calling The Next Step. Um, and uh, we actually started it last week, although I didn't tell you, it was just Easter Sunday, so we just just preached a, a, a straightforward gospel message. Um, but here's the idea of this series, The Next Step. The idea is this. It's important, I think, that we don't become stagnant or complacent in our faith or in our walk with God, but, but that we're growing and making progress and moving forward. And so what I want us to all be kind of doing in the next couple weeks is to just be asking ourselves this question, what is the next step? Or what would it look like for me to take the next step in my journey of faith, no matter where I'm at, whether, you know, no matter where I'm at. Um, what would it look like for me to take the next step in my journey of faith. So for some of you, the next step may be the first step. It may be responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe I don't know, I've heard this, um, but but I'm in a place where it's like, you know what, it's time to kind of get off the fence and I'm and I'm going to make a decision to follow Jesus and experience salvation that's only found in Jesus Christ. And so the next step for you may be the first step. Um, and so if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I I urge you to respond to the gospel, repent of sins, believe in Jesus Christ and follow him and experience the joy of salvation in a relationship with him. Uh, but what I want to do today is I want to ask a question, okay, but for those who have already become followers of Jesus, what is the next step? Because a lot of times I think what we do is we go, okay, I made the decision, I whatever, raised my hand, walked the aisle, prayed the prayer uh, and then we kind of park it, right, and we just go, okay, like, I checked the box, I believe, but we're not, so what is the next step, and there's, and I think an important next step would be water baptism, and so that's what we're going to talk about today, and so let's just dive into the topic. As soon as you bring up the subject of water baptism, all kinds of questions arise. First of all, what is baptism? Uh, What does it symbolize? Who should be baptized? Why should we be baptized? How should we be baptized? When should we be baptized? Is baptism necessary for salvation? Does baptism itself save me? These are questions that people have wrestled with for years and years and years, and actually there have been church divisions and splits over some of these questions. So I think it's important, and I hope to provide at least some biblical response to these questions before we leave today. And let's just start with the basics. So first question I think we should ask and answer what is baptism what is it let me give you a bit of a bulky but helpful definition and then we'll unpack it i think i have this in your notes it says this baptism is the immersion of a believer in water in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit it's an act of obedience symbolizing the believer's faith and a crucified buried and risen savior the believer's death to sin, the burial of the old life, and the resurrection to walk in newness, newness of life in Christ Jesus. Okay, so I acknowledge that's a bit of a bulky definition, okay? But let's kind of let's kind of jump back. So the beginning of that definition has said this, baptism is the immersion of a believer in water. Does everybody understand what it is to be immersed in water, okay? We use this term immersion and not sprinkling because this kind of answers some of the question of how should we baptize? Now, What I'm going to teach you right now is not, um, there's no verse in the Bible that says, well, baptism um, cannot be done by sprinkling or by a cup. There's no verse that says that, okay? But I believe that the wealth of biblical testimony points to the fact that baptism happened by immersing people in water and then bringing them back out. And I say that for a few reasons. First, because the word baptism itself comes from the Greek word baptizo, which means to plunge, dip immerse or submerge. Okay? If a ship had sunk in the ocean, it would have been said to have been baptizo. That is, that ship is submerged. That ship is sunk. That ship is plunged into the water. So that's the first reason. Second, this was the mode of baptism Or the way in which baptism was carried out in the New Testament and specifically in the book of Acts. We see it all over. You can't read the book of Acts and and see an instance of sprinkling for baptism. You see over and over and over again people immersed in water and brought back up for baptism. Uh, It's also the way that Jesus himself was baptized uh, by John the Baptist in, in the Jordan. He was immersed in the water and brought back up out of the water. So this is the mode of baptism we see in the New Testament. Third reason I say immersion is the the method or the mode of baptism, is that some of the imagery and symbolism of baptism, um, which we'll talk about more in just a second, a lot of that symbolism is lost without actually immersing people in water and bringing them back up. You don't get the full picture of what it's supposed to be, okay? So let's talk about the symbolism real quick, okay? Symbolize. Let's read together. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. There's several verses here, but then we'll kind of unpack it. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So there's a lot there, okay? But let me, let me just give you a picture. of Baptism symbolizes the gospel. It symbolizes the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a picture of the gospel. Jesus died for my sins. He was buried and that he rose again. So, baptism then is a public confession that I believe in the gospel. When I get baptized, it's a public confession. I'm saying publicly, I believe this. I believe that Jesus died for my sins, was buried, and rose again. And I want to make a little side note that this was actually the way that the early church publicly confessed their faith, okay? They didn't raise their hand or walk an aisle or pray the prayer. Not that those things are bad. Those things are good. But when they wanted to publicly confess their faith, they got baptized. That's what they did. So it symbolizes the gospel, that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. But it also symbolizes, and you may have caught this because it was pretty clear in there, it also symbolizes our identification with Jesus or our being united with Jesus in death, burial, and resurrection. Okay? It's saying... I also was crucified with him. The old me is dead and buried, and I've been raised up to live a new life in Jesus. Let me give you some verses on this. Galatians chapter two, verse 20. Paul writes, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So, in the New Testament, Jesus would tell his disciples, listen, take up your cross daily and follow me. He's saying, you have to die to yourself daily. I have to die to my will and my way and my desires and my plans, my thoughts, and seek his will, his purpose, and his plans for my life because they're better than mine. All right? And so it's a, it's a, scripture talks about a daily death to self that we must take, and, and this, these disciples were really clear on what that meant because they watched people carry their own cross to their hill of execution where they would be crucified. And so when Jesus is saying to the disciples who would see people carry a cross all the time and they knew what that meant, they were going to their death, he's saying, you gotta do that daily. Do that daily. And so Paul would write, I was crucified with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. And now it's no longer I who live, but the life that I live, I should live a new life in Christ Jesus. It's interesting because I I was listening to a a pastor explain something about like the church in China. You know, the church in China has exploded over the last decade, 15, 20 years. Um, And even longer, it has exploded. It's illegal. It's illegal they can't have all the bells and whistles that we have. They can't advertise church services. They don't go on Facebook and promote their next service. They don't have big events and neon. They can't do any of that. And yet the church, they're, they're, they're outpacing American church growth like, like nothing. They've exploded. They've exploded the greatest gospel explosion of new believers, people becoming Christians is happening in China. It's been happening for the last 15 years plus. How is it happening? It's real simple. They don't have the stuff. They don't have the big events to invite people to. They don't do giveaways, right? They don't do Easter egg hunts. They don't do any of that stuff. They preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. People believe it, get baptized, even though it might mean their life. They publicly confess their faith. And so this pastor this week, I'm listening to him. He's talking about being in China. And these two um, young adults, They're like he's like 19, 20, maybe 21, he says, and they, you know, they got their whole life ahead of them, but they've they've become Christians, and and they could face, I mean, they're going to face tremendous persecution. Uh, they they could face certain death, okay. And, and especially, I mean, you're caught with the Bible, you're in trouble. But especially to get out and publicly confess your faith by water baptism, it's like you you put an X on your head, right? And and he sees these guys go, yeah, I'm ready for baptism, and they go to baptize, and they're in this lake or wherever they're at, and the pastor who's baptizing them says, are you ready to publicly confess your faith in Jesus Christ, even though it may cost you your life? And one of the young men, 20, 21, says, I've died already. I've already died to myself. I've been crucified with Christ. The old me is dead. I counted the cost before I stepped into the water. They get it. They get it that baptism is also symbolizing a death to self a new life in Christ Jesus. On a on a little bit lighter note, uh, although, although maybe kind of morbid, I heard another pastor talk about how he went to this, uh, I think, Baptist church kind of back east, and he said it was kind of a weird thing, but he went there for a while. He says, when I first went there, I was kind of shocked by this. He says, but they had a baptismal writing, you know, they had their platform, and they'd, have a, uh, they'd pull a kind of uh, a trap door when they were gonna do baptisms. There was a little baptismal pool right there, but it was shaped like a coffin, and he said, it was like, oh, it's jarring at first. He said, but then I understood like this, this, that was the symbolism. That's the symbolism of baptism is that Jesus died and was buried and rose from the grave. And we identify with him, say, the old me is dead. I've been crucified with Christ, dead and buried. And now I've been raised to new life in Christ Jesus. So maybe a little bit morbid but it gets the picture across doesn't it people there have a little bit easier time of understanding okay this is this is what this is representing colossians chapter 2 verse 12 says having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of god who raised him from the dead second corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 therefore if anyone is in christ he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You know, you can't change five minutes ago. Every one of us would go back and probably change. Maybe some people wouldn't. I don't know. I'd go back and change a whole lot of things. But we can't, we can't change the past. We can walk in new life. Okay? It says the old you is dead and buried. If you've come to Christ, there's no condemnation to you now. It says the old you is dead and buried. That stuff's gone. Doesn't mean we don't struggle with sin or that we're gonna somehow live these little perfect lives, you know, like... Stepford children of God or something. Oh, here we go. Okay, It's, it's, it's that we're going to struggle. We're going to have that. But that who we are now has been fundamentally transformed. The old us, the person of sin and, and death and who was destined for wrath and destruction, says that, that person's dead and buried. We have a new life. We are alive in Christ. And that life is eternal. It says if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is past. The old is dead and gone. And the new has come. Let me just say this as a sidebar because it just popped into my head. And so if anybody in your life is chaining you to who you were, reject that in a negative way, if they're chaining you to who you were and past failures and mistakes and those things, listen, we learn and we grow and we move forward. But if you are chained by someone else, by their words, by their word, and you constantly feel like you have to repent over and over and over and over again for the same things to people because they're just gonna pound you with it and hold it over your head. Scripture says, no, 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 that person's dead and gone. And I have repented and I have put my trust in Jesus Christ. I am a new person. And so I understand that you wanna hold that over my head, but that is no longer who I am. So baptism is a symbol of our faith in the gospel. It's a symbol that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and rose again, defeating death. And that, okay, if I'm in Christ, I was crucified with him. The old me is dead and gone, and now I've been raised to live a new life in him. Can you see how, then, so much of the symbolism is lost if we just go around sprinkling each other? You see what I'm saying? I'm not against that. I'm not knocking that. Listen, I understand that many here maybe come from, I know my wife is raised Catholic, okay, and so, and so you're, if you're from that background, I'm not demeaning that in any way, what I'm saying is, let's look to the scriptures to give us a biblical picture of baptism, okay, who should be baptized, who should be baptized, Um, and this is another question, should we baptize infants, or should we baptize those who profess faith in Jesus Christ, who are of an age, that they understand, receive the gospel, and confess faith in Jesus, it's an important question to ask. I want to show you in scripture really quick the connection between belief and baptism. Can I do that? Acts chapter two, verse 41. says, so those who received his word were baptized. And they were added. They were added that day about 3,000 souls. So these are people who received the word of God. That is, they heard it, they received it, they accepted it, and they confessed faith, and then were baptized, okay? Look at Acts chapter 8. Verse 12, but when they believed, underline believed, when they believed, Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. When they believed, they were baptized. See that? Acts chapter 8, verses 35 through 38, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here's some water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, and Philip Philip, and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Verse 37 was actually included um, in later manuscripts. Let me actually read it for you. If you notice, I don't know if you're following along in the Bible or if you're just reading the, um, the verses I put it on the notes, but what you may not catch if you're just reading the notes is that The Bible just there went from verse 35, 36, to 38. And you go, what's that? Well, because some manuscripts are a little bit later manuscripts, but they add verse 37. So he says, what prevents me from being baptized? And this is verse 37. And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may be baptized. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Whatever you want to get into in the depths of kind of... Whether verse 37 should be there or not, what it shows clearly is that the early church believed that belief was essential for baptism, right? Acts chapter 16, verses 30 through 34. Then he brought them out and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said this, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who ran his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he was baptized at once, he and all of his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. One more verse on this point. Mark chapter 16, verses 15 through 16. These are the words of Jesus. And he said to them, to his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Proclaim the gospel, the good news to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe Will be condemned. So all those verses, just to kind of, and I could have given you more, but okay, we already done plenty, I'm sure. Okay, all those verses, out of all those verses, we can safely assume a couple of things. Okay, first, it seems pretty clear that belief is a prerequisite for baptism. That who is baptized, those who believe. They believed and were baptized. Okay, and since babies can't understand the gospel, can't confess belief in the gospel then, you know, it logically flows that we just don't baptize babies yet. Now, we can, we can dedicate babies to the Lord and we can have all kinds of other great things that we do to the Lord, uh, do for babies, uh, but scripturally, those who believe are the ones that were baptized, okay? Must hear and understand and believe the gospel to be baptized. Now, many stress infant baptism because they also believe another thing about baptism we're going to touch on a little bit but they believe that baptism is necessary for salvation they believe if you're not baptized you're not saved and so we have to baptize these babies because what happens if something happens to these babies and they're not baptized they believe that and I believe and we'll talk, we can talk about this after if you want more kind of scripture verse on this stuff but I actually believe that the testimony of scripture would indicate that that every baby every child before an age of understanding and accountability goes immediately to the presence of the And we'll talk more about is baptism necessary for salvation in just a bit, but. So the couple of things we can assume from these verses is that it's pretty clear belief is a prerequisite for baptism and second, the New Testament shows us over and over again that the natural next step once a person believed the gospel was to be baptized. And it was belief and baptism. It was just the natural next step. There's no such thing, there appears to be no such thing in the New Testament as an unbaptized believer. It appears that every believer was baptized. And so who should be baptized? Those who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and are ready to publicly confess that. Let's move on to the question, why should we be baptized? Okay, aside from all the other vital reasons I hope we've just given, uh, let me give you three more and I'll do it quickly, okay? Number one, we should be baptized, I think, to follow the example of Jesus. Matthew chapter three, verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, to John, to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, no, no, I need to be baptized by you, Jesus, and and you're coming to me. But Jesus answered him, he said, permit this, let it be so. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And so John consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. That means he went down into it, right? Immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now, I'm, um, I hesit- I'm sad to kind of point out to you that when you're baptized, probably, the heavens will not open, and the dove will not descend and land <laughs> on your shoulder, and the voice from heaven may probably not say anything. Now, we may be surprised, okay? Uh, but no, this was confirming the deity of Jesus Christ, okay? Uh, and so that's a unique experience. But all the other things in there, Jesus said something very interesting. John tried, to, John tried to prevent Jesus from getting baptized. Like, Jesus, why do you even need to be baptized? You're not washing away sins. and You're not dying to your old self and being raised to a new life because you had this life of sin or whatever. No, it's, he's like, you know, Jesus says, if I'm gonna fulfill all righteousness, I, I need to be baptized, Jesus didn't do it because he needed to to wash away his sins. Jesus did it because he says to be baptized is part of fulfilling all righteousness. And so he he serves as an example for us. I think if I want to fulfill all righteousness, I go, okay, Jesus showed me at least some of what that looks like. And that includes water baptism. Okay, so I think we, we should get baptized to follow the example of Jesus. Number two, I think we should be baptized to obey the command of Jesus. Matthew chapter 28 Verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came to them, his disciples. We already, we opened with this verse. And he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Pause. Think about that phrase. Imagine you're a disciple. You just saw Jesus crucified. You saw him dead. You saw him buried. And you've seen him now raised from the dead. He's got your attention. Remember we talked about that a little bit last week? okay. If you saw me, if you saw me on Friday executed and then you watched me be buried and then Sunday you saw me at Starbucks, I'd have your attention, right? So Jesus has got their attention like that. And he says this, after his resurrection, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There's no higher authority. There's no one else you need to be listening to more than me. I'm the highest authority that there is. And then he gives them a command. He says, go therefore. In light of the fact that I have all authority, therefore now, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus commanded that we go and make disciples and baptize them. It's a command, it's not a a suggestion. It's not like, hey, if you feel like it, go make some disciples and if they feel like it, baptize them. No, we're not gonna baptize people against their will, but that's my point, like, so he's saying, it's a command, it's a command. So we, we baptize people according to the command of Jesus, we get baptized because Jesus commanded baptism. Imagine we just went out and did that. Hey, come here, you're getting baptized. No, I do want to. No, you're getting baptized, i commanded it. it's gonna happen, okay, so. So let me answer this question. I actually don't believe that baptism is essential for salvation. And here's what I mean. It's not, it's not like, I don't think, like, if God opens your heart and you respond to the gospel and you become a follower of Jesus Christ, but then you get hit by a semi truck on the way to your baptism and, and God's like, oh, so close. <laughs> Man, like, you, I, you had a transformed heart, you responded to the gospel, you professed faith, you started to follow me. What a beautiful thing. It's not like that happens. And we have to remember that there was a thief on the cross next to Jesus, crucified next to Jesus, and he has a moment of salvation, he has a moment of conversion, where his mind and heart, he repents of his sin while he's hanging on the cross next to Jesus, realizes who Jesus is, and he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looks at him and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus doesn't say, man, too bad you're hanging on the cross next to me because you need to get baptized first. So see if they'll take you down, baptize you, then put you back up, and then you can, no, it's not that. So, so I don't believe that baptism is essential for salvation, but I do believe that, is, that it is an important and expected act of obedience to the command of Jesus. That if you can take it, you should, if you're a believer. So why should we be baptized? To follow the example of Jesus. Number two, to obey the command of Jesus. And number three, to be united with and welcomed into the body of Christ. What is the body of Christ? Simply, it's the church. It's the family of God. This. It's us. We're not just a social club where we show up and... We hang out, because if that's all we are, like we, can get, we can get a social club anyway. There's all kinds of ways to hang out. There's, there's hiking clubs, and there's this club, and there's sewing clubs. And there, you just need social contact? You can get that somewhere else. That's not what we're doing here. This is a family reunion every time we come together. That's what this is. This is the family of God coming together and worshiping God the Father. And so I believe that we get baptized partially to be united with and welcomed into that family. The family of God. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 4 through 6 says this, there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. It says we have one Father, there's one faith, and there's one baptism into that family. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 says, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. So baptism has at least something to do with being welcomed into the body of Christ, the family of God. Just as we were physically born into a family, baptism also represents spiritual birth or being born again into a spiritual family, the family of God, the church, that's why the church baptizes people. And that's why other people who are part of the church, the family of God, show up for the baptism even if they're not getting baptized because they are there to acknowledge and recognize and confirm and embrace and applaud and welcome these people into the family of God and say, I see you. I recognize you are now my brother. You are now my sister in Christ. When should we be baptized? There were two interesting things this week um, that made this question. This was already part of my notes. And then, and then two interesting things happened to me in, in terms of this question this week. The first was, I think my mom had shared with me an article, a great article, uh, that most of its content was amazing. But one of the things that the article was saying, it was talking about a lot of things, about the church and making disciples and baptizing people. But one of the things it said about baptism was, Why don't we wait and see? Why don't we just kind of disciple people for long enough until we see them bring all of their lives under the lordship of Jesus Christ and then baptize them? Bring all of their lives under the lordship of Jesus, every part of their lives, and become obedient to him and then baptize them. I think one of the problems with that is that one of the first acts of obedience that we're commanded to in the New Testament is baptism. So if we tell people, wait to be baptized until you're obedient, we're saying, be disobedient until you're obedient. Does that make sense? Um, And so I would disagree with that part of that little article that I read. I think baptism um, is important, and I don't think that we have to wait until we see every, listen, we'll, we'll tell, time will tell whether we're true believers or not. Lots of people make professions of faith in Jesus. I've seen it over the years in youth ministry. I've seen it over and over again. I've seen adults do it too, where for for three months, six months, a year, you're passionate about Jesus, and then he stops working for you, and you're on to the next thing, okay? Was that a genuine salvation? Was that a genuine conversion? Was that an emotional response that met your needs at the moment, and then it just stopped working for you, and you abandoned it? The New Testament, Paul would write, he says, I I just want to let you know, or, or one of the writers of the epistles would say, I just want to let you know that those who departed from us they departed so that it would be revealed that they were never really of us. So time will tell whether we're true believers or not, but I don't think we have to wait for that. Otherwise, we're, it's like the deal is let's wait till the, let's try to figure out when you're gonna die. Let's just right before that moment, kind of see if you've p- produced enough fruit in your life. Second thing that happened this week that made this question interesting, when should we be baptized, is that i I'm talking to a, um, a friend this week and and um, and she brought up the topic of baptism which is just random because I'm teaching on baptism this week, and she brought up the topic of baptism. Her faith is similar to Christianity, a little bit different, and her take was she believes in God, she believes in Jesus Christ, although she believes some different things about Jesus than the Bible would teach. But she says, I've never been baptized. I'm waiting to be baptized until I've cleaned myself up. I'm not clean enough. I'm not good enough to be baptized yet. I've got to get myself together first to earn my baptism. It's a couple problems with that for me. Number one, that either makes you live under condemnation because I'm not good enough to be baptized, I can't do it yet. And so it's just shame and condemnation. Or it fills you with pride because, yeah, look what I've earned. Look what yeah, that's right, I'm getting baptized. You see, I've got my crap together now, and you can dunk me underwater and I'm good. Okay, sorry I said that word again. My wife just gave me the look. Okay, sorry. I've got my stuff together. And now I can get baptized. So it either fills you with shame and condemnation because you're not good enough to get baptized yet. You've got to clean yourself up before you can get baptized. Or it fills you with pride and you become this like religious judgmental Pharisee who's like, yeah, oh, I'm sorry, you're not good enough to be baptized yet, but I've earned it. I've been good enough for long enough. Cleaned up my act enough to get baptized. The main problem I have with this idea is that the New Testament actually shows us otherwise. There are tons of examples, many examples of baptisms happening immediately after a person professes faith in Jesus Christ. No time yet to clean themselves up or bring all of their lives into obedience. Let me give you just two, okay? Acts chapter 8, verses 35 through 38. We're going to read it again. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him, this eunuch that he's that's reading the scroll of Isaiah. He's reading the Bible, and Philip explains the gospel to him. He says, I told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said... Look, there's water right here. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down in the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Philip didn't say, well, what prevents you from being baptized is you really gotta live a life long enough to show some fruit that you're bringing all of your life under the lordship of Jesus, and you're becoming perfectly obedient to God, and then we'll baptize you. He's like, oh, here's what it means. He goes, oh, I believe the gospel. Look, there's water. Can I get baptized? Yep, let's do it. He dumped them right there. Okay, here's a second example. Acts chapter 16, verses 30 through 33. Then he brought them out and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he was baptized at once. He and all of his family. The same hour that he believed in Jesus, he was baptized. So They took him at once and baptized him. These are not people who have had to clean their act up first and then get baptized. These are people who say, I understand the gospel, and the gospel says it actually doesn't depend on me. It doesn't depend on my works. I can't earn it. That's this idea is actually anti-gospel, The gospel is Jesus did it for you. He lived the perfect sinless life that you couldn't live, that I couldn't live. He died for our sins because we're sinful. He was buried and he rose from the grave and now by faith, we just enter into that and become united with Christ and his righteousness, not our own, his good works. So we don't earn baptism. We receive baptism as a gift, as an expression of of faith in Jesus that he did what we couldn't do. That's why people are immediately baptized. they just go, okay, I believe. I believe that he did it all, that he accomplished salvation, that I don't have to earn it or accomplish it. It's not like Jesus is wanting my faith plus my baptism to earn my salvation or plus my good works to earn baptism to earn salvation. You see the point? As soon as we turn this into something that we earn, we've gone anti-gospel. The gospel is you can't earn it. You can't do it. We said this last week, you're going to blow it. If if God gives you a million second chances, you're going to blow them all. I'm going to blow them all. We receive the grace of God and we go, look at what Jesus did for me lived a perfect, sinless life, died for my sins, and was buried, paying the price for, for my sins, and rose from the grave, conquering death, hell, and the grave. And now, all who call on the name of Jesus Christ will be saved, united with him. The old me is dead and buried, not because of my works, because of his. It's dead and buried, and I'm raised to live a new life in Christ. As soon as I believe that, I go, man, I'm, let me confess that publicly, that I believe that, that it's not dependent on me, it's dependent on him, Let's let's get baptized. So he says, what prevents me from being baptized? And I would ask, what prevents you from being baptized? If you believe in the gospel, that Jesus died for your sins, he was buried and that he rose again, and you believe that, that he wants to take you by your, just your faith and he wants to pour out his grace in your life and that the old you dead and buried and raised to new life in Jesus, and you believe that, then I think the next step for you is baptism. It's publicly, it's, I just encourage you to obey the command of Jesus and confess your faith publicly by being baptized. And I would encourage you to do it sooner rather than later. <clears throat> Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for baptism. <clears throat> we thank you for this symbol of the radical grace of God. We thank you for this picture of the gospel, of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that we are united in union with Jesus, that the old life of sin is crucified, dead, and buried, and we've been raised to live a new life in you. And we thank you that baptism is a picture of all of this, and that as we were physically born into a family, we come up out of the waters of baptism, representing a new birth, born again into the family of God. And we thank you for these things. In Jesus' name.